If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them, turn them on to Luke chapter 2. Last week, we began a new series that we're calling the Christmas Remix. And what we're doing in this series is I'm taking the titles of some famous Christmas songs, and I'm just tweaking the title a little bit in order for us to look at some truths that perhaps at times uh, we overlook in the story of Christmas. Tim Hawkins, the comedian, says that there are some phrases that only moms use. For example, uh, I've had just about enough of that. You know, when I was a kid, my mom used to say that to me. I always thought, does that mean I have a little bit more time to misbehave until you've had truly enough of that? Or you should have called me. I am worried sick. Right? You ever had your mom say that? Right? Okay, or don't dawdle. Quit your dilly-dallying. You are lollygagging. Who uses that term, you know? My favorite mom term, though, is racket. You're making too much racket in there. When I was a boy, I used to, I remember I would be eating Pringles in the living room. And she'd say, Lashley Todd, you are crunching entirely too loudly. You're making so much racket. Can't you please eat those more quietly? To this day, whenever I eat Pringles, I let them melt in my mouth before I take a bite because I'm afraid I'm going to make too much racket. Well, one of our favorite Christmas songs is Silent Night. In fact, how many of you say that's my favorite Christmas song, Silent Night? A few of you, yeah? Well, I want to change that title just a little bit today to Rackety Night, okay? Rackety Night. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered with Mary who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Now, Mary and Joseph had gone through a very difficult season together. They had been betrothed or engaged. And then the angel visits Mary, and the angel tells Mary that she's going to have a son. And Mary's like, well, how can this be? Because I haven't been intimate with Joseph, so there's no way that I can give birth to a son. Well, the angel tells her, uh, the son that you are giving birth to is going to be the Savior, and you're going to conceive of the Holy Spirit. Well, that put a little bit of strain on Mary and Joseph's relationship, because as she began to show, she had to go and she had to tell people that she was with child. Can you imagine whenever she went in to tell her father that she was pregnant? Can you imagine how the conversation went whenever she told Joseph? And in fact, Scripture, as you read between the lines a bit, you discover that Mary and Joseph had somewhat of a breakup, that Joseph thought, what should I do about this? And there was a custom in the day that you could put away a betrothed spouse who had been unfaithful, and so he thought about putting her away 
privately, but then the angel visited Joseph and told Joseph, no, her story's true. She has conceived. It's of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Joseph uh, believed the angel. He and Mary went forth with their life together. So in their lives, now they are planning for the birth of a baby. Do you remember what it was like to plan for the birth of a baby? Some of you guys in the Walking Alive class, you've done that recently. Some of you other folks, it's been a long time since you planned for the birth of a baby. But we all kind of remember. And so I can think of Mary and Joseph uh, painting the nursery. They're, they're looking through trying to pick out names, which of course was unnecessary because God had already picked out the name for, for the baby. They're, they're going to baby showers. They're getting ready for the birth of the baby. And then Caesar, Caesar Augustus, Octavian from the Shakespeare story, he issues an executive order. Everybody has to go to your hometown to be registered. Now, what that meant is, number one, there was going to be a census. They were counting the people of the empire. But number two, it also meant you were going to have to pay more taxes. Everybody loves more taxes, right? So I can picture Joseph. God, what are you doing to us? Every time we make plans, you change our plans. It doesn't seem like anything is going smoothly. Can you imagine how the conversation must have went when Joseph went in to tell Mary about the decree? I remember whenever Stacy was 39 weeks pregnant, had I gone in and told her, hey babe, guess what? We're going on a road trip and I've got the best donkey that I could find from Rent-A-Mule. I mean, this thing is luxurious and you can ride on it the whole way, that conversation had not, would not go well. You know, my wife is a dear, sweet, long-suffering woman. But if I were to tell her at 39 weeks pregnant that she's going to go on a road trip riding on a donkey, she would scrunch her forehead, and then she would turn her mouth to the side of her face like this. Because I have learned in 17 years of marriage that when my, mouth, my, my wife's mouth migrates to the side of her face, it's all over at that point, okay? That is not a good sign. If you ever see Stacy with her mouth on the side of her face, you better run because things are not good at that point, okay? Well, Mary, 39 weeks pregnant, gets on a donkey and heads to Bethlehem, which is 70 miles away. You say, how do you know that Mary was 39 weeks pregnant? Well, it's the Son of God. He's not going to be born prematurely. You know, He's going to be on time. He's not going to be late. He's not going to be early. He's going to be right on time. Well, while they were there, verse 6 says, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. Now, think about this. On a road trip, Mary goes into labor. She is hurting. She's having contractions. Perhaps her water broke. She can't find her insurance card. So here she is, away from home, away from her security network. Her mother's not there. Her friends are not there. They try to find a nice place. 
but the Hyatt is full. The Hampton Inn is full. Motel 6 didn't even leave the light on for them. So there she is. She's giving birth. This is her first child. We tend to call it uh, the manger and, and the stable, but in reality, it's a barn. It's where they keep the animals at night. She is laying her baby in a feeding trough. That's not very hygienic. That's not going to pass the mom test for cleanliness. Now, a couple of questions for you here. First of all, have you ever been in a labor and delivery room? Anybody in here ever been in a labor and delivery room? Secondly, have you ever spent a night or tried to take care of a newborn baby? You ever been in that circumstance? Well, if you've ever been in a labor and delivery room, if you've ever tried to take care of a newborn baby, then you know that there was nothing silent about that night. There were significant emotional responses that evening. There was volume that evening. It was not an easy, silent, peaceful time for Mary and Joseph. Well, in the same region, Shepherds were staying out in the fields, and they were keeping watch at night over their flock. Well, this was a bad night at the shepherd's house. They had to go in and tell their families that they were working the night shift on Christmas. So there they are, out in the field, spending the night with the sheep. This was not an executive-level job. This was not a well-paying job. But it was a dutiful job that hardworking men did. I can imagine the shepherds sitting around in the evening. They've built a peaceful fire, and they're trying to pass the time until sunrise. I can see Shepherd Tiny there trying to draw schemes as to how we can move the sheep more efficiently. And I can see Shepherd Fletch out there cleaning his ten guns in case coyotes attacked the flock. And I can see Shepherd Packabush out there on his phone all night long taking calls from different people. And I can see Shepherd Reed. All he wants to do all night is play the guitar and sing. It was fun for the first hour, but by 2 a.m. that's getting a little bit old. So it's a boring evening. It's It's not a fun time for the shepherds, but then the angel of the Lord stood before them. And the Bible says the glory of the Lord shone around them. In other words, the sky lit up with the glory and the brightness of the Lord. And so their natural reaction is that they are terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid here, for I come to proclaim to you Good news of great joy that will be for all people. Don't be terrified. I've got good news. This good news is great joy. Joy in the Bible is always anchored in the purposes of God. So what's about to happen, what I'm about to tell you about, is part of the plan of God. It's going to bring you more than temporary happiness 
what God is going to bring you is that joy that is deep-seated, that is within your soul, that can only come from above. And it's not just for uh, you shepherds, it's not just for Israel, but it's for all people. The joy that I'm about to tell you about, shepherds, that's going to cross the oceans. It's going to land in Murphy, Texas. It's going to land in the hearts of people for centuries. In verse 11, the angels say, Today, a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. So three things about the child that is born. He is a Savior. He brings to us forgiveness. We're all in need of forgiveness because we've all done things that we shouldn't have done. We've all hurt people. We've all said things that we shouldn't say. We all harbor attitudes that we shouldn't harbor. And so every single one of us in this room is in need of a Savior. We're in need of someone to bring to us forgiveness. But the angel also says this child is the Messiah, literally the anointed one, sometimes translated with the word Christ. This is the Messiah that for hundreds of years people have been waiting for. The prophet Isaiah talked about his birth. The prophet Joel talked about his birth. For years your people have waited for the day that the Messiah would come and he would bring a new life, a new order to things. The Messiah is now born. And then also the angel says, not Not only is this baby a Savior and the Messiah, but this baby is the Lord. He didn't just come into existence in Bethlehem. He has been, is, and always will be. He is the Lord. His name is associated with Yahweh from the Hebrew word Hayah, meaning to be. This baby, this Christ child, is the Lord of the universe. He was there When the heavens were hung, he was there at creation. He is the Lord of all. Now, verse 12 says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Now, isn't that an interesting contrast to the previous verse? Whenever the angel says, we have the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, and here's how you'll know that you found him you'll find a baby wrapped up lying in a feeding trough. Well, then suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Now, again, I want you to notice that there is nothing silent about that night. But now the shepherds had a conundrum. The angels have told us that we should go and see this child. But what do we do? Do we stay here or do we go check it out? Well, they had some obstacles that they had to overcome. First of all, there was a business obstacle. If we leave the flock, what happens if the sheep get lost or get attacked? After all, this was how they made their living. They couldn't just abandon their business and and leave the flock there. Sheep need a shepherd. If you know anything about sheep, they're not the most intelligent of animals. And they're also not very ferocious. If somebody tries to attack sheep, the sheep are toast. Nobody thinks of a sheep and gets frightened. No high school names their mascot the sheep. And that doesn't 
elicit fear in your opponents? Can you imagine the cheerleaders down there? Okay, everybody give me a bah, bah. I mean, it just doesn't happen, all right? So the sheep needed the shepherds to be there, and for them to leave was a bad business plan. Not only that, what about their reputation? If they leave the sheep, the townspeople are going to know it. Perhaps they'll never work again. And then also the obstacle of doubt. Did we really just see a bunch of angels? Is somebody playing a trick on us? Is walking alive up to mischief trying to trick us into thinking that we just saw a bunch of angels? What did Shepherd Ballantyne put in those brownies? I mean, did we really just see a bunch of angels? But the Bible says when the angels had left them and returned to heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. Remember, that was going to be the sign that they found the right baby. So notice here, they go straight to Bethlehem. They plow right through the obstacles. They hurry off and they find exactly what the angels had proclaimed to them. So what a moment when those shepherds arrive. Now, I have some sympathy, though, for Mary. Because here's Mary. She gives birth to her child away from her family in a cave or a barn or stable, whatever it was, with animals around. She's having to lay them in a feeding trough. And finally, things have calmed down. The baby's born. Here he is. And then a bunch of shepherds show up. Now, have you ever seen a group of men coming out of the wilderness? You ever seen a bunch of men after a mountain hike or a bunch of guys coming in from a hunt? They don't smell too good, you know? And I would imagine these shepherds were a little bit uncouth. I mean, they come into the scene. They even photobomb the nativity picture so that now they're in the birth picture for the rest of eternity. I mean, here's the shepherds invading the overall scene, and yet at the same time, there is this realization that something big has just happened. Angels are singing. They're appearing in the field. The Messiah is born. And since they were little kids, people had told them that one day God was going to do something that only God can do. One day, God was going to send a Messiah. But now the shepherds had another decision. Do we take everything that we have seen and go back to the fields and just keep silent? Or do we go tell people about what we have seen? Well, in verse 17, after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it, were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now, a few things for you to notice. First of all, the shepherds made the decision that they were not going to be silent about that night. They went out and began reporting what had happened to everybody they could find. Now, the Bible says that people were amazed. It doesn't say that everybody believed. I'm sure there were some people that heard the story of the shepherds and said, wow, 
That's a remarkable story. And in the back of their mind, they were thinking, you guys are crazy. That didn't really happen. But they were faithful to tell the story and to tell what they had experienced. There was nothing silent about the night that Jesus was born. For many Christians, their faith is a silent, personal belief system. But I want you to understand something today, just a simple thought in this sermon. God has not called us to be silent. He's called us to be light. Christmas lights are a big deal in my household. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-year-old. So when the Christmas lights start going up right around Thanksgiving time, it's a big deal in my house. So we were leaving. We celebrated Thanksgiving on Friday with my parents, and we were leaving my sister's house in Fort Worth to head home. It was night, and my five-year-old, McKenna, she just started taking in all the lights. Every time she saw a Christmas light, she'd go, Wow, look at that! And McKenna lives life with a little bit of zest, you know, and so she has a lot of volume. And I did not win the Father of the Year award that evening because as her decibels began to increase, I kept telling her, shh, shh, McKenna, not so loud. You know, you might wake up Bennett. We're trying to get him to go to sleep, but she was not going to be deterred. She kept saying, wow, look at that one. Wow, look at that one. Finally, we get back to to our area, and we're coming off that ramp that takes you off the George Bush onto 78, and we're coming up over this hill, and there's like all these street lights, these interstate lights that, that you see right there. Well, McKenna, she doesn't know the difference between that and Christmas lights, so when she sees those, she's like, this is amazing. So she's like, whoa, look at those lights, and Karis, the seven-year-old, just kind of deadpans to her, McKenna, those aren't Christmas lights, they're street lights, and McKenna's like, well, I like them, okay? I mean, she, just, she was taking it all in, and I thought to myself later on, good for her. All of us were trying to squelch her enthusiasm, but she wasn't going to be stopped. She was going to celebrate the lights of Christmas. And I think about John chapter 1, where in reference to the birth of Christ, the Bible says, life was in him, spiritual life, that deep needed forgiveness, that deep needed life of our soul is in him. And that life was the light of men. And then it says this, the light shines into the darkness, yet the darkness does not overcome it. And I think in my mind of the scene in Romans 1, where it talks about the creation uh, retreating away from God into the darkness, and the further we go into history, it seems as though the further we recede into the shadows and the greater the darkness becomes, it begins swallowing up the creation like a black hole. Yet the scriptures say the light of Bethlehem shines into that darkness, and the brilliance of the light is so great that the darkness cannot overcome it. That is what the birth of Christ is all about. The light shines into the darkness and it penetrates the darkness of our hearts and it brings to us the Savior. It brings to us the Messiah. It brings to us the Lord. 
In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he began to turn that illustration, and he said these words, You are the light of the world. And then he said, A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. And in my mind, I envisioned that moment whenever we came up over that hill, and there were those streetlights. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden because the lights shine forth. And then he says, No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And then it gives light for all who are on, all who are in the house. And now here's the application of what he's saying. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works. And then notice who the glory goes to. And give glory to your Father in heaven. I want to encourage you this Christmas season to have a rackety Christmas. Christmas is a distinctly Christian holiday. Christmas, at its root, is about celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And on Christmas, we join with millions of other believers who have done this For centuries, we join together to celebrate the fact that light has shined into the darkness that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. Christmas is a Christian holy day. Now, over the years, as millions of Christians have worshipped Christ at Christmas, other people have begun joining in in the celebration. Some people even figured out you can make money off of the celebration. And so all sorts of things have been added to Christmas. And in fact, you can be a non-believer and still celebrate Christmas in many ways. Yet at the same time, Christmas is a Christian holiday. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to encourage you during this season. And by the way, this this is just a side note. If you have kids in the house right now, Have fun this Christmas season. Take it in. Savor these days. Make the experience rich and make it a month-long party about the birth of Christ. Have fun. Enjoy the traditions. You know, enjoy the trees. Enjoy the lights. Enjoy the gifts. Eat, drink, be merry. Drink the eggnog, even though it looks like pancake batter. Drink it. You know, celebrate Christmas. But as you go through this month, I I want you to get this. Don't let anybody squelch your faith. In fact, do the opposite. Look for opportunities during this season to let your light shine. Because that's what Jesus told us that we should do. And Christmas provides for us a wonderful platform to be an example, to be a witness, to make much of Christ. So let your light shine at Christmas. Now, as you do this, there's five things that I want to remind you about, and then then we'll be through this morning. Number one, as you let your light shine, be respectful. And along with that, be wise. Sometimes you have to be smart and understand uh, where your employer is and things of that nature, and, and you need to be respectful in your wording. Not everybody's a believer, and, and we understand that. We hope that eventually they become a believer, but 
be respectful. Don't be the whack-a-mole Christian. You remember that game, whack-a-mole? You did like at the pizza place or whatever, the little moles would pop out and you'd take the hammer and bang them on the head. And sometimes people are like that with their Christian faith. They just try to kind of bang everybody, bang everybody on top of the head with it. You know, not every article you see has to be shared on Facebook or forwarded or whatever. Okay, you know, use some wisdom. Be, be respectful in your language, uh, but also be intentional. Do use social media. Use the outlets that are available to you to share the message of Christ and to share what you're celebrating. At Christmas time, we have special events like Old Town Christmas, Christmas Eve services. These are great opportunities for you to invite people to come to church with you. Statistics say that 80% of people will come to church if they're simply invited by somebody that they know and like. That's a little side note, but somebody know and like. So if you'll simply invite people during this Christmas season, that's a wonderful way for you to let your light shine. And as you have conversations with people about Christmas and about your plans, look for opportunities to kind of steer those conversations towards the light. Be intentional. Thirdly, be confident. Let me encourage you on this. Don't ever be ashamed of your faith in Christ. Your faith in Christ is not intellectual suicide. Your faith in Christ uh, is not something to be shy about. You never have to be ashamed about the fact that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is threatening to a lot of people, and so they try to get you to be very quiet about him. But you don't have to be ashamed about the fact that you believe in Jesus Christ. And also understand this. You're not alone in this. We've got your back. And even beyond our church, there are millions of people over centuries that have lived their life and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Fourth, be generous. Give to others with a sense of gratitude. You know, as we give, we're expressing our gratitude because uh, we think about that passage in 2 Corinthians 9-7 where it talks about being a cheerful giver and realizing that we can never outgive God, that God has given us His own Son. He's given us our salvation, all the blessings that we have. And so because of that, we can be generous in our spirit towards others. So don't be the Scrooge of Christian Christmas. Don't be a bah humbug. Be generous. Here at the church, there's a couple of opportunities to be generous. We're going to do a missions offering in the coming weeks to support missionaries around the world. We call it the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. It's an opportunity for you to give a gift to Christ at Christmas. I am so thankful for those of you that are faithful and every week you're generous in your giving to support the ministries of the church. Uh, we couldn't continue our ministry if it weren't for people like you who were generous in your giving to the church. And I also want to encourage you as you come to the end of the year to ask yourself this question, have I been faithful to God in my giving? Have I been faithful this year as I close out 2014? Have I expressed my worship to God through my generosity to his ministries? Be generous. And then finally, be rackety. Make a little noise. Have a little bit of fun. Be a little bit rackety. Eat the Pringles. Crunch. Make noise. Because peace on earth and goodwill towards men 
a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord, that's something not to be silent about. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as Paul and the band come and we have our time of commitment and we're going to sing some songs of worship today. I'm here at the front. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, encourage you in, it's always my joy to pray with you. Uh, if there's a decision that you need to make today, I'd be glad to pray with you about that. Uh, the band's going to lead us, and as they do, I encourage you to sing forth uh, in a time of worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you intervened into the scene so that we might be redeemed. And I thank you, Lord, that you didn't just shower down some behavior modification edicts, but in fact, uh, your law draws us to your grace, and that your grace is ultimately about you sending your Son so that he might live the life that we could never live, and he would die in our place, and he would overcome death, so that all who believe in him might not perish, but have everlasting life, so that all who believe in him might be seen in him by our Heavenly Father. And we can be justified, we can be righteous, we can be uh, forgiven in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that the light that you have shined into our hearts and that fire that is flickering within us because of your Holy Spirit, that it will shine through our lives, through our attitude, through the words that we speak, through the celebration that we engage in this month. And I ask, Lord, that you will give us those opportunities to let our light shine and that our lives might make a difference in the lives of our neighbors and that we will have moments where we drop our jaws and stand in awe because you have done something that only you can do and we have had the joy of being a witness to your great work. It's in Jesus' name we worship. Amen.